sequel going? Sequel sucks. Bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. I'll be back. Why won't you die? Prime, you can't die. The reboot, damn it. Reboot complete. Thank you very much. Movies. Never say die. Welcome to Movies Never Say Die, a podcast with a singular focus, movies that are reboots, reimaginings, or sequels to other films. I'm Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. This is episode number 16. On this episode of Movies Never Say Die, we look at Barbershop, the next cut. But first, here's a look at official announcements, rumors, and hearsay for upcoming reboots in our opening segment, In the Pipeline. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Pipeline. Pipeline. All right, up first in the pipeline, a new rumor with the uh, the new Batman movie that perhaps, and I, I've only read this as a rumor at this point, that the new Batman movie with uh, with Robert Pattinson will introduce a new version of the Joker because we have no idea what that character's all about. We've never seen the Joker on the big screen um, <laughs> or little screen or any screen. Really? I guess that's all I have to say. It's really, like, the, the first one out the gate, they're going to, like I said, it's a rumor, but what, what, uh, do you think this would be a good idea? No, no, I don't. I mean, that's actually one of the cool things I liked about Christopher Nolan's trilogy is they obviously knew at some point that the Joker was going to be a part of his series of films. And the way they introduced the Joker at the end with the business card, quote unquote, you know, just the little Joker card that Gordon shows Christian Bale's Batman, the last scene, like it was brilliant that they didn't even mention the whole first movie. And they started off with, I mean, Scarecrow. I had never, I think I'd heard of Scarecrow, but didn't really know much about him. And so I thought it was kind of brave of them to dip a little bit deeper into the rogues gallery that Batman has. And it's, you know, there's there's more than just Penguin, Catwoman, and the Joker. As it is, all the rumors were circulating about Colin Farrell being the Penguin and who gets cast as Catwoman. Like, I, I just can't believe that they're sticking with the same few villains we've encountered already. And then, I mean, we, we just had a solo Joker movie, which was really well done. We had Jared Leto show up in Suicide Squad. I mean, how many, I know there's a lot of Joker stories, but there's, there's, there's gotta be something, <laughs> something different you can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand that that's like the, you know, arch rival, the villain in the Batman, uh, rogues gallery, but his rogues gallery, as far as I know, is possibly the biggest, deepest, maybe best in all of, you know, comic book stories. Um, and and you know what I'm reading here, I'm reading, uh, this story, a couple different outlets, but this one right here on MovieWeb.com, it says that maybe this would be just referencing the Joker, but even I think is that's that's not necessary, um, especially since we've just had you know in the past couple of years. I know this is a totally new franchise, but there's the Suicide Squad, which is actually still going on, which had their own version of the Joker. We've had you know the Joaqu- Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Oscar-winning portrayal of the Joker in its own little movie. Uh, it's not necessary. And I, and I thought that they already had a bunch of 
villains that they're which I already don't agree with like they you know, like you said you know uh, Colin Farrell's uh, Penguin and then I think they were casting for maybe Poison Ivy and we're getting even in the Schumacher films we got all these same um, villains and stuff like that and like you I agree that Batman Begins started with two maybe comic book you know fans knew a lot about those villains uh, you know Ra's al Ghul and the Scarecrow but um the general movie going audience definitely did not and that was that was a nice nice change of pace coming from these uh from that franchise but yeah this is almost disheartening i don't know and and, and i see someone wants to do this they want to take their crack at the joker but we've seen it well i almost i almost feel like it's more of a creative challenge and you can make your mark in a more unique and interesting way if you went after one of the other villains and Christopher Nolan had three distinctly different villains in those films. I had actually forgotten about Ra's al Ghul, which was, it was good that you mentioned him just because he tied into Bruce Wayne's backstory the way he did. And the idea of destroying and rebuilding Gotham. So, I mean, you started off with Scarecrow, Ra's al Ghul, and then moved into the Joker, but you also incorporated Two-Face and you incorporated some of the mob bosses, which was an element we really hadn't seen on film before, focusing so much on the mob bosses that ran the underworld in Gotham. And then in the third film, I mean, we don't know necessarily what his third film would have encompassed since Heath Ledger passed away, but the fact that he then moved on to Bane, which... I, th- I mean, I think I, remember, I recall you saying that your your thoughts on the portrayal of Bane in the Schumacher movies was an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd said that in the past, just because it was so he's just a giant lump with muscles walking around. But to have him kind of turn into this anarchist terrorist genius was well, while still maintaining the the elements of strength that he he possessed. You know, there's obviously more you can do. I. I you know, and and like you said, I agree with you. So many people want to take a crack at the character, but like, I, there's got to be a thing that is Joker burnout. There's got <laughs> like I'm burned out. Right. I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of burned out on Batman. I don't think we need another Batman right now, and I love Batman. Totally, we both. I think we both agree that this was too soon, and uh, I mean, we're already getting. We're getting um, Catwoman in this one, I believe. Uh, Zoe Kravitz has been cast as Catwoman. Um, I'm not sure if that was me that talked about Bane in the Schumacher movies. That might have been our friend Tony, who is maybe the bigger Batman fan amongst uh, the three of us, uh, starting from the comic books. But uh, I don't disagree with uh, his his comments on on previous portrayals of of Bane. I mean, uh, the Schumacher portrayal of Bane. Um, But yeah, there are so many... It, it'll be nice to get Catwoman because I never saw the Halle Berry one, but you know we haven't gotten a real—I don't know—a real Catwoman. You could say I, I'm not sure what you thought of uh, Nolan's take on on Catwoman for The Dark Knight Rises, um, but yeah, I like the ju- just a... I, yeah, I like Nolan's take. Just I mean, I, it's it's tough because I I liked it for what he was trying to turn his Batman universe into the idea of a more realistic, grounded, gritty portrayal of, you know, just a jewel thief who happens to be, you know, has elements in her costume that kind of uh, harken back to the idea of like little cat ears or whatever, but, and obviously using the name Selena, but 
beyond that, I think you're right. I think we haven't gotten a focused portrayal of Catwoman since Halle Berry's movie, which I also did not see because it looked <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah. And I forgot also we're getting we're getting Riddler in this movie. A Riddler character has been cast in the new Batman, uh, Paul Dano, if I'm not mistaken. So there's really so much going on, even if it's just a, just a reference to Joker. Um, you know, I'd be if I was a director. Hint, hint. Anyone who's listening, or a producer, or whatever writer from Hollywood, I'd uh, I'd want to take my crack at like Mr. Freeze or something, right? That was something that was done totally strangely on the big screen with Arnold <laughs> as as the character. <laughs> oh, I, the I, puns I w- though! The puns we got from that movie though. The puns, Justin. Perhaps worth it for just for that, but. there's like a hundred villains that they could use for batman and you know we keep getting the same three move on i agree with justin move on do something different and plus and and i i also agree with your take that i think they are really really heavily loading this movie with villains i mean we saw what happened in Spider-Man 3, where they had kind of an overflow of villains going on, you couldn't really focus on one villain at a time. And we saw it almost almost a tiny bit in Batman Returns, Tim Burton's second film, where, you know, you've got Selina Kyle, you've got Penguin, but you've also got Max Shrek in there. And it's, it's just, it's, you, I mean, I like, and I like Batman Returns a lot, but you just, once it gets villain heavy, you move so far away from focusing on Batman that, it's not really what you want to do, especially in a situation where you're starting off a new franchise. So it is disheartening. <laughs> <laughs> I agree yeah. with you. I mean, especially since it's supposed to be early Batman. I mean, he's, he's meeting all these supervillains quite early in his career. That must be very, uh, very disheartening for him as well. All right, a couple of announcements here. Not much information outside of titles and basic information. Up first, Bruce Campbell kind of came out of nowhere and confirmed the title and director of the next Evil Dead film. They're calling it Evil Dead Rise. He also confirms that he will not be involved as Ash in any films going forward. He's quoted as saying the films need to stand on their own, which I also kind of agree with. I really enjoyed Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV series. I really enjoyed the remake that they had a few years back, but certainly the idea that the series can continue with different individuals and just the idea of the same source of evil affecting different people outside of Ash. I mean, I love Bruce Campbell's portrayal of character. I love what they do with it, but certainly it makes sense for him to step aside and pass the torch on to new and exciting directors and actors I mean, I think it's good news. I'm all for (laughs) gory, hilarious horror films. Uh, What do you think of the Evil Dead Rise news, Justin? I think it's good. I agree. Um, I think it's good that they move on from Ash, like you said, Um, even though, you know, that is really a great character and portrayal by Bruce Campbell. Um, We watched that reboot together in the theater, I believe, the Evil Dead uh, Fede Alvarez. I I think we went to see that together. I think we did, um, yeah. Which was, you know, super well done. Not obviously not as uh, funny as the original the trilogy kind of um, take that they did on it, but 
that was a cool story too like that uh fede alvarez was i forget where he's from like argentina or something and he made some like really short film that he posted to youtube and then he got like a like a big following and and sam raimi picked him to, to direct that that reboot it's it's almost a shame that they're it's they didn't continue that reboot and like or actually i don't know there's no real details right it could possibly be in that same um timeline but uh yeah it would be nice to to see a new version of this and since bruce is involved as producer then we know that you know it's in good hands i'd actually never saw the any of the the tv series it's something i totally wanted to watch but i just never started it it's good it's well done i think it's it certainly harkens back to the campier elements of the original series a little bit more it's kind of i mean it was super gory it was super well written and i thought the first couple seasons were better than the final season i thought it was getting a little too tied into this weird mythology in the final season but i still thought they brought it home pretty successfully but certainly I, I agree with what you mentioned about the Alvarez film that it was a lot darker and a lot more serious especially and you know they tried something new with it I, th- I think the main character was going through they were trying to take her up there to detox she was a drug addict I think um, but I, I and it, kind of like you mentioned it sounds like they've sort of done the same thing the director they've announced was somebody who has done a series of successful short films that had gotten some notice and they kind of plucked this person out of obscurity and handed him the reins. So it's hopefully we'll have the same kind of success with it. I hope so. It's pretty exciting news. All right. Next we got another rumor slash semi announcement, uh, thing going on here we have heard from sylvester stallone that a sequel Evil dead rise to his uh hit uh 1993 i want to say perhaps i should have looked that up but i believe it's 1993 <laughs> sounds right <laughs> uh demolition man is in development um from what i can tell all of this is is sylvester talking about it to, to someone during a q a he was doing um but there it is. Perhaps we will be getting Demolition Man to some 27. Well, whenever it comes out, we'll be probably close to 30 years, closer to 30 years later. Uh, <laughs> well, what did you think when you heard this? I was excited about the prospect. I think that that was kind of right in the middle of the sweet spot of Stallone movies. He just, it was a interesting concept. And bordering on cartoonish violence just kind of the idea that you find the most violent criminal who's been put on a deep freeze you unfreeze that guy so of course you've got to unfreeze the one guy that could go after him and you drop them both into this utopian society that doesn't even use the classic interpretation of what a quote-unquote police force would be so i thought the concept was great and i thought the execution was tons of fun a lot of great action you know you had rob schneider in there for comic relief, you had an early Sandra Bullock appearance, which was fun. So yeah, I would I would love to revisit the world of Demolition Man and see how he's getting along. See if he's figured out the three shells. Hopefully. I mean, I, I just want I just want to know. I need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? We walk- excited? We, we excited about the news? I, I'm I'm like half excited because you know I, I love that the 
the original is amazing for what it is you know mid 90s early 90s i guess mid 90s action sylvester sloan wesley snipes was amazing as the the villain um simon phoenix uh the only problem i would have is that that dynamic is gone obviously since simon phoenix is dead and there would be no and part of the charm i guess of that movie a uh, part of it is that both he and uh sylvester sloan's character uh, uh john i want to say john spartan um is uh <laughs> john spartan you have been fined two credits yes exactly thank you <laughs> um and he uses those uh fines to wipe his ass but they were both fish out of water right they were both dropped into this new like you said utopian society uh I think many years, right? 60 years, like even in the future for now. It was always funny, like this movie came out in the early 90s and their future was 1996 or something like that. <laughs> oh no, no. Their future of when when uh, the country is in bad shape, like at the beginning of the movie when these characters were in their original timeline was 1996 when LA had gone, gone to shit or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um. But without having that and without having Wesley Snipes' character, I, I, I don't know what they could do. I would, I absolutely would love to see how they would do it because I would be excited to see how it goes forward. But uh, I wouldn't know how it would go forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. And that you bring up a lot of good points that there are certain elements that made it what it was, such as the chemistry between the leads and the novelty of them being dropped into the society and having to adjust to it or in case of wesley snipes taking advantage of it and just kind of destroying everything without fear of consequences uh it's a lot of good points i could see being hesitant about a sequel like this but i think if they balance it and do it the right way it could be fun to revisit that world but yeah that's there's a lot of challenges that they'd have to overcome it's many good points brought up by my friend and co-host justin st well, thank you. Oh, almost two years into our podcast, it's glad to finally get some good stuff out. <laughs> uh, my patience pays off. I knew it would come, Justin. <laughs> I've been biding my time. <laughs> Saving up for the Demolition Man news. And it actually just occurred to me, how nice was it in Demolition Man to see a police force that wasn't brutal, brutalizing people, right? They didn't even know how to handle crime, so to speak. That's... That's a good point. They Everything didn't have was... guns in that nope. uh, in that future. They had what do they call them? Like glow sticks or something. They did like like knock knock people out like uh, like a futuristic taser of sorts. But uh, yeah, so that kind of plays into what we want to touch on a little bit later in the episode. True. True. Very true. All right, moving on from rumors and hearsay into stuff that actually physically exists kind of a big surprise and a massive coup for fans everywhere i think it was during a screening of man of steel maybe Zack snyder was doing a zoom viewing of man of steel or something like that and somebody asked him about the justice league snyder cut and he kind of out of nowhere let the cat out of the bag that hbo max is going to pay I don't know, $30, $40 million to allow him to finish editing and special effects for Justice League, the Snyder Cut, which will premiere on HBO Max later this year, early next year, I think. And 
Yeah, so that's, a th- I mean, people have been clamoring for this for a while. It's been a hashtag Twitter campaign for the company to release the Snyder Cut after Joss Whedon's underwhelming Justice League came out. And yeah, I mean, this is certainly the first of its kind kind of thing. And so there's a little teaser that came out. It, it, it kind of hints at the differences that might show up in his version. What did you, what did you think when you first heard about the Snyder Cut actually not only existing, but the fact that it's coming. <laughs> uh, pretty excited, honestly, because stuff like this almost never really works out, right? Everyone, you know, certain directors cut some movies, sometimes don't even make it to the special, uh, you know, uh, features of, of uh, Blu-ray, DVD, uh, you know, stuff. Um, DVDs are these little uh, physical <laughs> discs that... <laughs> that we used to purchase um, in stores when we used to go to stores also, and perhaps rent from stores called Blockbuster and these little kiosks um, that you put in machines. stores were places that you went to. (laughs) That you would put in little machines that would also play these movies on your your television screen. Remember when we used to leave our house? There was places other than our house. (laughs) Physical media as well, yeah. Shut Um, up, old man. But uh, yeah, I was pretty excited since you know the the, the Justice League itself. Obviously, um, Snyder had to had to leave uh, his directorial duties because of personal problems with his family. I believe uh, you know he had some very hard things he was going through at the time, and so the movie itself was probably not as good as it could have been if it was just him or at least just one director throughout the whole process. But what surprised me is I thought the Snyder Cut was something that he had already put together and that what we saw in the theaters was, you know, there's always a director's cut and then the the studio, the the company has to cut it for certain reasons, you know, whatever. And that's what we see in the theaters. So I thought this was something that was already essentially done. I did not know that he was going to get a chance to essentially create his 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 vision and had to do more you know effects work and that they were going to put 20 30 maybe even more million dollars into this whole process so that is what is exciting me about this it's really really quite interesting yeah it sounds like we're getting a significantly different film i mean it's supposed to be like three or four hours long so i'm not sure if they're talking about breaking it down into like a mini series or if it's just going to be one massive film but it's it's certainly more than I was expecting. I, I was in the same boat as you. I thought that it was just a thing that he had basically finished and that Joss Whedon came in and just reshot some stuff and tinkered with it. But it sounds like he made real significant changes to the plot and to the general vibe of the movie that we're hoping to see uh, rectified when this comes out on HBO Max. And Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. What did, what did you think of the Justice League that came out? I wasn't very... High on the Justice League. <laughs> no, that it was theaters. It was pretty, uh, pretty disappointing. But you know, so perhaps a, a redemption coming through with the with the Snyder cut. Um, it's kind of weird that everyone kind of shit on Batman vs Superman, and then the Justice League was a little bit worse, <laughs> or maybe to some people a lot worse. Uh, I don't know. Because there's some cool stuff, you know, Jason Hall. It seems like all of the main guys, like, you know, 
Henry Cavill Superman, he does a pretty good job. And, you know, like you, you've mentioned before, you like Ben Affleck's Batman and, you know, obviously Gal Gadot um, as Wonder Woman is awesome. And I haven't seen Aquaman, but everyone says that, you know, Jason Momoa is, I mean, Jason Momoa is awesome, but Jason Momoa as Aquaman is awesome. And um, all this stuff put together just didn't really work in what we got. And the the uh the villain and the name is escaping me right now steppenwolf or something like that um was a little underwhelming we were supposed to get possibly dark side which now they've also had a short little tease that Zack snyder has uh released that uh he will be putting dark side into this or at least a little bit and that is exciting as well because dark side is very formidable as far as i know he's you know essentially the DC's Thanos, right? Like this, you know, big bad that uh, very powerful uh, villain character. So I don't know if I'll be getting HBO Max, but uh, we'll, <laughs> I'll find a way to watch this whenever it releases. <laughs> Moving to our next topic, this is something that we've at first had as a rumor when we first saw it pop up, but now it's actually in our trailer and things that are actually out or coming out soon category is if you can believe it deep blue sea two no three so <laughs> i saw this uh pop up and i thought oh they're making they're making a deep blue sea three a, a few years ago I, I i was surprised that there was a, a sequel to in this franchise and i just saw this pop up and was like, oh they're making a third one until i realized before recording that they have actually finished making it there is a trailer out and it will be released again on those little tiny dvd discs and vod as well but um yeah totally like a double shocker that there's a, a trilogy now and it's actually already out i was in the same boat as you when you messaged me about stuff to put in the pipeline you're like oh we should include deep blue c3 i was like there's a deep blue c2 and then I wanted to research it and see what we would talk about. <laughs> the first thing that came up was like the trailer for Deep Blue Sea 3. And I'm like, what? And even the article I read was like, not only is there a Deep Blue Sea 3, but it exists and it's a, there's a trailer for it. And so it's just, I mean, the trailer looks ridiculous. The trailer looks completely absurd. And, you know, with super hokey acting, ridiculous special effects, I guess everything you would expect from this series now. Yeah, everything you would expect from a straight-to-DVD, uh, straight-to-VOD movie at this point, certainly. Um, and like you said, that I think the article that I read is the same said the same thing as you, that I guess everybody was surprised that this exists already, <laughs> not that it's coming. Um, <laughs> Maybe the yes. filmmakers were even surprised. They're like, holy shit, we just finished a movie. We made this. <laughs> I was is just screwing deep... around on my computer, and there's a movie now. Is this a Deep Blue Sea movie? I guess so. Put it's a got three sharks. after it, Joe. There's sharks and they're smart. So uh, yeah, sharp. They're you know genetically who knows engineers shark. All right, let's call it deep blue sea. Oh, there's a two. All right, three. <laughs> <laughs> That's how movies get made now. Yeah, and I mean, or really, get I don't named. Yeah, just it seems kind of like this series, so let's stick it in there. <laughs> I do. I do love the original i mean it is a fantastically hokey with for its time actually quite amazing special effects with a great cast i mean you can't 
go wrong with Samuel L. Jackson. No. Um, Thomas Jane was Thomas Jane in it. Thomas Jane, absolutely. Um, Saffron Burroughs, who's who's done some stuff uh, over the years, some good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, very entertaining. I I very much remember going to see it in the theater when I was in college. And in, in prepping for the show, I tried to remember. So my group of friends and I were going to the theater, and they were going to go watch something that I did not want to watch, or maybe that I had seen before. And so I went to go watch this, I believe, opening weekend, but whatever, um, by myself. And it was, it was amazing. It's got the <laughs> incredible, it's just, it's fun stuff. It's just a fun movie and a fun movie experience, even though I went to see it by myself. And I tried to look it up. I cannot remember what the movie they went to see was that I did not want to see or had seen already. So, but in any event, I did go to see this movie and I did not regret it. <laughs> Obviously featuring one of the best death scenes with Samuel L. Jackson. In the middle of an amazing, amazing speech he's giving, and then bam! <laughs> Shark jumps jumps out like however many feet out of the water and grabs him, drags him back Yanks down. Him in. Now the first thing we need to do is... <laughs> <laughs> so good. One of the best, best death scenes in movie history. Out of nowhere. And actually, you mentioned this earlier about the new trailer, that the new trailer seemingly blows a similar death, completely spoils it, and would have been a lot of fun to see it in real time watching it, but kind of the same situation where some character's like, oh, we we got out of that, we're okay, and then just gets eaten by a shark, and it's just like, oh man, you could have had a Samuel L. moment, what's wrong with you? Yep. We're not spoiling it for you because they put it in the trailer. (laughs) Guys, you should have put a spoiler on there, but they're showing you in the trailer. But basically, the company is saying, here's the two minutes you want to see of this movie. We're giving it to you for free. Rent it on demand if you'd like. And wrapping up the pipeline, on Bill and Ted Day, June 9th, that's right, 6-9, we finally got the teaser trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music. I've been hearing about this for a while. This was good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now you're going to have to put in a guitar sound effect there. You can't just do it. Uh, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you, but then... No, it was brilliant. actually did. Keep it. Keep it. I love it. Just stick the guitar sound in there. Um, yeah, so Ed Solomon has kind of kept us posted throughout the years that there was a script for Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it just never got made. And then kind of like the Snyder Cut, there was enough fan support that... They snagged a director, they got some funding, and they filmed it, and they've been updating fans throughout the process on social media, and we got our first teaser trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is pretty exciting. So what do you think? What did you think of the teaser? I'm very, very, very happy that it exists, even. Um, we've, been wait- we've been waiting for it. You know, all the, all the pushbacks due to uh COVID-19 and everything we I think we were supposed to get this maybe a month or two ago and so you know since they had to push back everything they even pushed back the release of the trailer so we've all been waiting for it you know years and years and years and years uh in the making and we finally see proof that we're gonna get William S. Preston and uh Esquire and and Ted Theodore Logan uh on the big screen again just Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I can't wait. Well, you're going to have to because the world uh, stopped. 
No, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm I I'm also very excited about the prospect of the film finally coming out and just the fact that they they really did, you know, make it with the support of the fans and there's obviously a passion there for continuing the story and I mean this is this is really a true teaser trailer. I mean, we don't get we we kind of get the idea of a basic plot. We kind of hit all the beats, you know, we've got Bill and Ted kind of being their Bill and Ted selves, even in middle age, it looks like they're still the same characters, which is nice. They just slip right back into those roles, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. We got a very quick glimpse of their daughters. We got a very quick glimpse of death and kind of a basic plot premise of the fact that they're going to travel in time to the future to when they actually write the song that changes the world and steal it from themselves. And of course, arriving at the end of the trailer, they meet up with their future selves that are gigantic, muscle-bound, tattooed prison inmates. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, there's there's a it answers a lot of questions, but then simultaneously leaves us with more questions. It's kind of a unique beast, like a real teaser trailer. There wasn't. I assume they're going to get more of a full-length trailer at some point, but I'm very excited to watch it. It definitely felt like it was. The world of Bill and Ted, even though the last film we got was, God, the early 90s, so like 30 years ago. I mean, it's very exciting. Very, very excited. Yeah, it's funny when when they show the first shot in the trailer of the two giant Bill and Ted's from the future in the prison. I didn't think, I didn't realize it was them. Like the first shot of the, I just, I was like, what, what is going on? Like I had to watch it a second time. I was like, oh my God, that was them. Um but yeah, obviously, uh, what some something is afoot at the Circle K after all these years. That in the future they're on the not on the path that we thought they were after the first two movies. We thought they had had settled this and were on the path to you know uniting the <laughs> uniting the the planet with their music. Um, but as I guess real life would show you, uh, life gets in the way, and they did not get have not gotten to that song yet. <laughs> Nope, but they they mention in, in the or you know the narrator or um, the the character is talking in the in the voiceover in the trailer saying that they're playing events, so they're obviously still continuing in their music and then perhaps even their their following is getting bigger, but they haven't they haven't made that that one song I guess that uh, that saves the universe and. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. I guess it just uh, it just occurs to them that they could possibly go to the future and and steal it from themselves. <laughs> um, but it was great to see them and those characters again. It seems like you know there was no. I mean, you know, it's a teaser, but they it's 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 right. It's it's Bill and Ted on screen again. They they seem correct. I think you mentioned this when the first shots of this came out. It's it's, it's odd to see. Keanu with a shaved face um, yeah, it's after been a all while, these yeah. years after probably since the last Bill and Ted um, but, or maybe uh, Point Break or something but uh, <laughs> or The Matrix I guess yeah it'll be what's interesting is I'm curious what that's if, if they do resolve it in this movie and if we hear this song I'm, I'm very interested to hear what the song sounds like I know, I agree. That's It's tough because there's a lot of situations like that where you've got a movie about an author or a movie about a band and, and the idea is that this author has written 
the greatest story ever told, the greatest book ever written, or the band has made the greatest song of all time, which influences and unites the entire planet. You know, how do you live up to this expectation that you've created by saying it's the best book or by saying it's this powerful life changing world altering song? That's, that's a very good point. I don't know. I don't know if they've hired somebody to write this song or if we're finally going to hear. I mean, they kind of, because even at the, in the end of the last one, they just played a kiss song. They like lip synced to a kiss song. God gave rock and roll to you. And so it's like, have they hired someone to write a new composition? Or are they going to use an existing one again? I mean, I don't know. That's a very good point. I don't know what they're going to do. They did have a contest recently where they tweeted out stuff about soliciting videos of people kind of air guitaring and goofing around to like a certain style of music. And so I wonder if that's going to figure into it somehow, but I don't uh, think Ed Solomon said specifically that wasn't the specific piece of music, but that they were just using that for the vibe of whatever scene they were soliciting all these videos for. So yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be, it's a hell of a challenge. We've waited since 1988 to figure out what this great song is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, they cast uh, Kid Cudi, Kid Cudi in this movie. I was wondering if maybe he'd be involved in in uh, okay. in the music. And I'm I'm reading here that supposedly the soundtrack has at least one song has been will be written and performed by uh, Mastodon, uh, which kind of feels more like bill and ted right perhaps um music musically but uh yeah it's very interesting not only do they have to write this movie but perhaps they have to write a song that could possibly (laughs) (laughs) no pressure good enough to save the uh, save the universe yeah the only thing that's missing of course and that will be missing is um rufus obviously george carlin no longer with us i think there's going to be they've said they're they're cute they're going to use some uh some archival footage from the first two films to have him in there. I don't know if that'll just be flashbacks or whatever. Uh, I think we mentioned before that his daughter is somewhere in the movie, but I'm not sure exactly what she'll be doing. Yeah. In the little glimpse of them traveling to the future, we see that the, uh, the phone booth or whatever they're using doesn't really look like a phone booth anymore. Um, that's actually, now that I think about it, that's a little disappointing. I, I would, I would hope it would look the same. Well, I mean, I guess they did kind of mix it up a little bit in the second one. They kind of changed the design of it slightly. But yeah, I think you're right. It's such a iconic piece of film, you know, visual or history or whatever, that you'd want to try and stick with that. I don't know. Yeah. Even now, if I'm out and about, and, I, even, and it's very, very rare if I even see like an old empty phone booth, my first thought is, wow, that's ancient. And my second thought is Bill and Ted. You know I mean? It, it's, oh, it's stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you mentioned it, you know, uh, William Sadler obviously will be back to play Death, the Grim Reaper, and just that little shot of him in the trailer is is amazing. Oh, I love it. Biggest smile so of the trailer. Um, yep. for that, that's 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 exciting. What are you talking about, man? You think it's a level playing field out here? You think racism don't exist no more? The president of the United States of America is black. The most powerful man on the planet is black. Just one man. Meanwhile, only dude I have to look up to is a guy from Big Bang Theory. (laughs) He funny. He make me laugh. So what does that mean for the average black dude walking down the street? Does our president blackness, did it stop Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown or 
or Walter Scott or Tamir Rice or Freddie Gray from being killed? Hell no. A madman walked into a Charleston church and killed nine innocent people. Did his blackness stop that? Eric Gardner got killed on tape, and it still didn't matter. All right, that brings us to our main event today, Barbershop. The next cut, it's the third film in the series, I guess the fourth, if you would count the Beauty Shop spinoff featuring Queen Latifah that came out some years ago. Um... Justin actually touched on this earlier in this episode, and it was, there's obviously a lot going on in the world in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, and um, you know we you know we were joking around earlier the idea of not getting too political, but it's obviously a cause that at least I personally can say that I support. I certainly support the movement, and it was kind of. Justin brought this idea to me to kind of look for a sequel or reboot or film series that primarily featured African-American actors and creators. And I thought it was a great idea considering everything that's going on right now. Um, but, you know, what, one thing that I actually thought was kind of an interesting challenge is that I had a hard time finding any of these films, which I think is already kind of a problem. We already know that there's problems with minority representation in films and finding, I mean, obviously we're kind of a niche element podcast where we're just looking at reboot sequels and stuff. But I mean, looking at film series, think, you know, things that can continue on. I mean, there's Tyler Perry, who's got continuing characters that go through some of his films. Obviously Medea is a big character that he carries through some of his films. And, and actually one of the, movies I did not think of when we were looking at the Barbershop series was I think the director of this one I can't remember who the director was. there was one of the directors of one of the films that did The Best Man which came out some time ago and they actually had a sequel to that that was like a The Best Man Holiday I think or something like that yeah I think so and so you know and then you've got certain films like you know we briefly touched on the idea of like Soul Plane, which is is kind of a that's kind of a troublesome film because as I was researching that, it's it's technically a film that was based off of Airplane and was you know a quote unquote minority production. But then looking deeper into it, the writers and producers were all, or at least there was significant issues with them not being people of color. And so there was behind the scenes, some creative issues. And so I actually thought it was kind of interesting, even just finding a film for us to discuss or a film series that we, you know, ran into difficulty finding. I mean, I don't know what you, I mean, you, you were kind of doing the same thing, Justin, when we were looking at something to discuss, I don't know how you felt about (laughs) the dearth of reboot sequels or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess I guess part of it actually was that in in light of stuff uh, that's going on in in the country and the world uh, after the uh, the murder of George Floyd, and you know we're re- revisiting the kind of police brutality and and and, and systemic racism that's that's present uh, in the society, our society, every society it seems. Um, that I wanted to. You know, we, we kind of had a movie planned for this episode, but I wanted to do, hopefully, a movie that touched on you know issues of 
race and police brutality and you know and and stuff like that but also and 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 this is how it became difficult you know for us to find it have that movie be a you know a sequel or, or a reboot um like i kind of joked to you it's like they're not they're not making sequels to you know um do the right thing and stuff like that <laughs> that they you know, movies that that directly are addressing these issues um but like you said there are movies less so of them but there are stuff like you know the Medea movies and stuff i just wasn't quite sure that they address these issues so even uh, whether at all uh, or head on like i, I was kind of hoping that I, a movie that i would find for this episode so yeah that 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 became slightly difficult but you know i mean there's some reboots and sequels to things like uh, bad boys for life you know came out uh, this year but yeah like i said i wasn't sure if they would fit to what i i I didn't want to just come out and and mention things about uh, what's happening in the world and not have it quote unquote uh, kind of tie into what we're doing here um yeah. on our on our very not serious podcast and <laughs> uh, in the grand scheme of things because oh, obviously movies do tackle this like you know even black panther kind of talks about it in the in the world sense um african-americans and 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 uh and black people and, and what they've had to deal with uh for you know centuries um 12 years of slave stuff like that but yeah it was it was difficult to find the sequel and actually my wife pointed out maybe the barbershop movies and then we we've we found some stuff and now that i'm thinking about it it's probably and i guess this is on me too i don't watch probably don't watch enough movies that are you know created by black people i mean i i think i do but then you know when you look back at the movies that you do watch it's a it's a much smaller proportion because so few movies are right i mean we watch spike lee movies and stuff but then who's another famous director you know that's that's african-american that are that are doing these things there are out there but it's so much fewer than everyone else um me being you know mixed and then asian as well that that's a whole different story as well you know even to a certain degree but uh but right now we're talking about black people and black lives movement and stuff like that so yeah i just want to do something that was sort of topical and not uh not too far off at one point i was like yeah let's just do, do the right thing but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's i mean and, and i absolutely agree with you that movies like that certainly speak to you know issues that unfortunately have continued i mean how many years ago was that movie and we're still dealing with a lot of the same stuff uh, you know and they're phenomenal movies and you know a lot of them are award-winning films and a lot of them are films that have made careers for the folks that worked on them I mean if you look at you know the career of John Singleton who passed away a couple years back um he obviously made a lot of films that dealt head-on with it but yeah I mean I don't I think I think I am in the same situation as you I don't necessarily seek out tons of movies that are you know, I don't avoid them necessarily, but it's certainly not in the forefront because, you know, those movies aren't often put in the forefront. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think of them because <laughs> minority directed or f- 
films you know featuring minority actors are not necessarily pushed to the forefront in mainstream Hollywood and so it's unless you do a little bit of digging you know it's it's easy for me and again you know I unfortunately I mean well I mean fortunately and for, unfortunately you know I, I'm in the situation where I'm pretty much the image of white privilege I'm a you know mid-40s white guy living in America and so I have it fairly easy <laughs> in in most things and so in a situation like this I haven't actually hunt down a movie like this that we'd have to talk to in the podcast it was very eye-opening even to find a franchise that features both minorities behind the scenes and in front of it and I thought that was you know I mean again you know you mentioned it's kind of a silly little podcast but even just having to do that much digging and research to find something. I mean, now granted barbershop is a pretty mainstream film. It's a fairly successful film in the grand scheme of things. It still was not necessarily the first, you know, I don't, I don't, it doesn't show up in my feed necessarily my recommendations in Amazon. Now, again, part of that's the stuff that I tend to watch, but it's also not necessarily something that Hollywood pushes just because they don't, see an audience in it which is crazy because i think it's honestly one of the reasons that tyler perry is so successful is that he caters specifically to an audience that is underserved and is underrepresented and so i think that's a lot of how he managed to build his you know his media empire was by focusing on people that get shafted by mainstream hollywood or tv production companies or whatever so it was it was it was definitely an eye-opening process, even just finding this film and going out and watching it. And you know, I mean, there are certainly bigger things going on in the world than just what's happening in Hollywood, but that's certainly a situation that exists because of underrepresentation and you know, communities and politics and entertainment, whatever. There was just, it was just it was a even just finding this film and watching it. Like I said, it was very eye-opening in that regard too so yeah no I'm glad you suggested it and I think the scene that you'd initially sent me from the film you know addressing it head-on was was a a powerful way to, to introduce the idea of this movie and then watching it um yeah I just I thought it was a great idea and I just I just want to at least broach the idea of you know looking at the movie with the with why you had suggested doing it and i thought i just thought it was a good idea it was great i liked it <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah and it's you know we're not super on top of every because we can't do this podcast every week every you know every, every other day so we're, we're not always uh <laughs> super <laughs> up to the minute or topical um but I, I was hoping to try and get uh get close to it because you know this this movement and you know the protesters in the streets and the and the hope and 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 some progress on on stuff that may happen with defunding police and 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 stuff like that uh i didn't i didn't want to wait too long but but you're correct in that you know and i it's true and i agree that we see these movies when we feel like you know when when they show up to us right sometimes it's you know obviously spike lee is at a place where his movies will definitely be promoted and whatnot but there may be a you know a smaller name uh black filmmaker or whatever that just doesn't get pushed the way it should and those movies are made 
less often anyway, so then they're already at that disadvantage and then they don't get promoted in the same way. And I was just actually just reading and and this is um you know, not just of, of little names. Like so Spike Lee just released a new movie on Netflix, right? Uh Defy yep. Bloods or something like that. Yep. And um obviously Spike Lee, you know, just won an Oscar, you know, his first directing one, which is also stupid that he just finally just won his first Long Oscar. Long overdue. Um, <laughs> Long <and>, overdue. Uh, <laughs> But so he did this movie for Netflix, and I was reading that Netflix, who famously, and I, I haven't watched it, and there's obviously nothing wrong with Scorsese movies or him personally, but Netflix gave Scorsese, you know, tons of movie, money to do The Irishman. And, you know, they de-aged famously, obviously, uh, everyone, uh, Pesci and De Niro and stuff. So The Five Bloods has flashback sequences and stuff of all of their characters, and apparently they weren't giving Spike the proper money and he couldn't de-age people so he had to find special ways to get around that when he was doing flashbacks so so characters like delroy lindo and stuff are not digitally de-aged and this is i mean this huh. is spike lee we're talking about interesting. so i hadn't heard that's interesting yeah i just i just read that and so you know it's it's all little things like that that all end up being big things after you know and we just today is um June 20th and yesterday was uh that we're recording this obviously when you hear this it may be January 2021 uh, <laughs> we're a little slow but uh but yesterday was Juneteenth uh for those of you who don't know the uh celebration of uh the emancipation of the slaves in the United States of America um many three right three see th these are things these are things that we're not taught in school I don't remember when I learned this, but I definitely didn't learn this in school. Um, I've known about it for you know years now, but I no, I definitely didn't learn it in, class, in the classroom. No, um, not me either. So the, the the years after the Emancipation Proclamation and the Thirteenth Amendment, um, when slaves in in Texas finally heard that they were free. I mean that's ridiculous, but um, so <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing this around this time, and and it's it's it's. It's time, and it, it's sad that it's also during the. Uh, and I'm sorry to our listeners that we're going longer on this than I thought, but uh, <clears throat> before getting into the barbershop, but uh, it's sad that all this is also occurring during a pandemic because I guess it's it's sad to say because I, I'm unwilling to go protest because I'm slightly scared of a virus that's out there as well. Um, part of that is also because I'm lucky that I currently still have my job and i'm still working but uh you know that's just a lot of factors to consider though i mean it's you know it is and that's you know it's it's to people's credit that they are still managing to go protest during a pandemic and that it's obviously important enough and you know but at the same time you know i, I haven't gone out to any of the protests my wife has gone to a couple in our town mm. just because but at the same time one of the reasons that she went is because she knew it would kind of be a smaller protest and it wouldn't be like shoulder to shoulder with people and she could socially distance and wear masks and stuff. And so it is, you know, it's certainly a concern to have that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a hundred percent in support of the protesters. And I think it's ridiculous that there's some people that are like, Oh, if you want to reopen a restaurant or you want to start concerts again, just call it a protest and then we're allowed to do it. And that's, you know, ridiculous way to look at it. But, you know, I absolutely support what protesters are doing and, you know, large groups, as long as they're trying to do it as safely as possible. But, you know, I mean, it's obviously important. It's something that, 
you know, as you just said, it's time and it's long overdue. And you, know, you mentioned Juneteenth. I, <laughs> I think the first time I'd ever heard about it was probably I'm trying to think. My first son was he's probably like five or six. We went to go play mini golf. I still remember this so vividly. We went to go play mini golf somewhere in Virginia or Maryland, I think, and we went to the mini golf place. And so this must, I mean, this was like. 2012 2000 so like within the last 10 years like i had never heard of this and i showed up and there was just a massive massive group of african-american people at like a pavilion there and you know i asked my wife i'm like i like what is going on today like i mean obviously you know there's the, the population is you know fairly mixed in the era we were in but i'm like where you know am i missing something what's going on today and she's like oh today is juneteenth and i'm like what the hell is like i had no idea what it was and i didn't and i was in my early to mid 30s which is crazy that i'd gone that entire time having never heard of it or knowing what this was and so it's yeah i mean it's just it's it's a lot it's a lot going on and it's it's definitely time and <laughs> you you or i are not necessarily going to change anything today during this episode but i i agreed with you that i thought it was important to focus on something and now something that's interesting too is i can't remember the comedian's name but there was a comedian that was on mark maron's podcast wtf shout out mark maron original podcaster um and he was talking about the struggles that he had being a writer because people of color are often kind of forced into the same two to four stories you know it's like you know is this going to be your slave movie or is this going to be your you know like there's there's they often get shoehorned into these categories and i think that barbershop was something that was a series of films that shed a light on family and community and history and you know they they did a great job being able to tell stories that they wanted to tell and to have characters that they wanted to introduce and and kind of dip into their lives that didn't just fall into those same two to four molds that people are of color are often forced into and so it uh yeah i mean it's just a long way to kind of go into <laughs> it's a long way to say that I'm, I'm glad we landed on this film series and then i had a chance over the last week to watch several films from it although and it also spawned a tv series i think at one point too that was on for a little while, I believe. So, yeah, I didn't realize that at first, but yeah, you're. I'm, I don't think it lasted very long, but they did have the teaser. Did you watch um, all the movies in this series? I didn't get to see all of them. I didn't have a chance to do Beauty Shop, but I watched the others in the series and everything except Beauty Shop. So I'm kind of ran the gamut from the original on to the one that we we're focusing to, focusing on today, the next cut. So it's okay. Same here. Same here. So yeah, it was definitely interesting to watch the evolution of the films. And one thing that I thought was fascinating was when I was looking up the most recent film, Next Cut, on I think I think you probably watched it on Amazon too, because that's where I watched it. The a lot of the reviews were being kind of pissy about the fact that Next Cut kind of takes more of a turn into some serious territory. You know, they're dealing with the issues that we're facing in Chicago and how gangs were kind of encroaching and violence was becoming more of an issue for them. And a lot of people were pissed off with the fact that it wasn't just a straight up comedy 
and that they dealt with social and political issues that we obviously need to be talking about. I mean, this, this film is a few years old and <laughs> problems have only gotten worse, but I thought it was interesting to watch a film series start. And again, they were, they were still dealing with a lot of themes in the first barbershop that were important. The idea of, you know, history and fathers and sons and, you know, they had the the one white character that they went back and forth on a lot of conversations about race in the first one. But just to see how this has kind of evolved into, you know, almost a quote unquote more mature version of that story in the series, I thought was just just having watched them all so close to the air this last week, it was it was kind of cool to watch that series evolve as it went through. I don't know how you felt watch. Had you seen any of these before we had talked about watching them or no? I had seen the first one. Um, it had been a long time. It may have been very close to when it uh, when it released, but I, I had seen the first one. But uh, I agree. I agree that. Uh, well, I don't agree with the, the negative comments. I I agree that the the franchise did progressively get uh, to touch on more serious topics. It's it's, it's obvious that they wanted to make you know a fun comedy with some heart in the first one and not be too serious. And that's exactly what it was. And I totally forgot that Anthony Anderson was it was in it. And that was like in the middle of his, he's still a little overweight and he's the crazy, he, he was that character in so many movies back then um, or whatever he was in back then. Uh, and then progressively, you know, in Barbershop 2, there's more flashbacks about, you know, uh, the shop back in the day when uh, Cedric the Entertainer shows up and why he's in the shop and, you know, Black Panther type stuff that goes around. And, and we finally see, uh, you know, uh, Ice Cube's character's father in a little bit. And then progressively, and then in the, the most recent one, uh, the next cut, um, very seriously talking about problems in the neighborhood. Um, with gangs specifically, a little bit they 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 you know show some stuff about uh, police, but I think I think they take a very <laughs> uh, watching all three in the last couple of days. I, I'm sure I'm 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 blurring them together a little bit, uh, but you know, like there there was a scene uh, after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., where the neighborhood is going you know going crazy with riots and stuff like that and uh and they protect well someone's about to throw like a you know a fire into the into the shop but uh cedric uh, the entertainer's character is standing there and so they they eventually do not and they say that you know they've mentioned it throughout the series that the shop is the only thing that that survived from you know multiple riots throughout the years and uh yeah so they they progressively get more into these topics and i i think that's for the better honestly i don't know why anyone would you know criticize that i i I was happy to see like you said they kept all these characters and the the same actors it's amazing because this movie is uh the next cut is 12 years after the last one and 14 years after the the franchise started and they still were able to keep (laughs) pretty much the entire cast together subtracted and added people but they didn't recast anybody like the wife actually is still the same a lot of times that character gets recast when it's like this but um yeah it's huge that they've been able to maintain the same cast it's a big deal although it's it is also simultaneously interesting that none of the creative behind the scenes creative staff is the same different directors different writers 
But yet, I think that to your point, keeping the same folks on, you know, the 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 performers in the film, keeping them all throughout the series helps kind of maintain a continuity that you would lose seeing as how there's so much turnover behind the scenes. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a single director or writer that was the same throughout the whole series. And you would think that that would cause problems with kind of keeping the same vibe throughout, but they, but the fact that they had such talented people in these roles and that they managed to hold on to them somehow while adding to them. And then there was that there was actually, I think one of the characters, I can't remember the actor's name. One of the actors that did not show up in the most recent film actually didn't show up because he was complaining about the fact that the new film took on such serious topics and he declined to show up in the new movie. I can't remember who, who it was, who didn't. Hmm. But yeah, I had read somewhere that I think... I'm trying to think was who... It, was it Ricky, maybe? Ricky was... Yeah, he was not... Michael Ely, he was not in the last one. Yeah, um, I think if I remember correctly when I was looking at stuff, I think that I saw that he specifically said that he didn't agree with the direction the movie was taking, that it was getting too serious and too political, and that he didn't want to take part in something that went in that direction. So they you know, got rid of the character and brought other people in. Interesting. That's unfortunate because I like I liked his character. I like Michael Ely. He's a pretty good. He's a very good actor. Um, so that's a shame because in the last one there was. Um, I mean, I just assume he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Uh, but there's a, a scene at the beginning of Next Cut where uh, the the white barber is in there getting his haircut, and he he's obviously moved on. But that was his little cameo. He wasn't in the rest of the movie, right, Isaac? Um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the one that they. Uh, they all make fun of and uh, well everyone makes fun of everyone the barbershop is a very interesting place the black barbershop i've had, I've had my hair cut at one before and it wasn't like like an old one like this one so i can i can imagine like one like where everyone knows everybody and you know uh can talk like that amongst close friends it's it's interesting but yeah, they had the that guy Isaac, the one white guy, and then in the the next cut, now they have the one Indian guy. So there's all there's always one one non black person in the shop, which is kind of funny, because most movies that are mostly uh, white have one token black person or one token other person. So it's kind of yep. interesting to have it the other way. Uh, and then in Barbershop Two, uh, Keenan Thompson was in it. I had no idea. In the, and yeah, I had no idea that, yeah, it was weird. I had no idea that he was going to be in it either. Um, you, you mentioned before there was the beauty shop spinoff. And so I actually assumed that uh, Queen Latifah would have a bigger role. She really had like two two scenes maybe in Barbershop 2 or something like that. Like she was not in it as much as I as I thought she would be in it. To, but maybe they just kind of put her in there so that she could get a the spinoff going. That makes sense, yeah. But I was I was very, very happy to see basically this whole group of uh you know friends and family make it through and then the entire franchise pretty much unchanged and the only thing you could see is that when the beginning of the next cut started you could totally see that the barbershop is like a set now whereas in the first movies they were almost definitely doing something on location on the street somewhere (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah it did have a different vibe to it yeah uh part of that is because um you know they 
they opened it up and partnered with the beauty shop next door but uh it was, it was definitely a different look like even the it was weird like even the mural of his dad was like on a different side of the shop but mm-hmm. uh <laughs> but, you know. yeah no, i think the idea of continuity was nice between the performers but then also i mean it like you mentioned having them all carry through i mean it's it certainly helped give you an emotional investment when you know when you had you know one of the characters gets ends up getting shot in the film one you know several of the characters have relationship problems either between you know husband and wife or father and son it's just it really kind of added to the emotional impact that it would have lost if we'd you know been kind of dropping act i think i think it did they say ice cube's son i think was yeah, I think, I think Ice Cube's son was different in the uh, third one. He didn't show up in this, or this. It was different from the kid in the second one. But well, I mean, it was a little kid, so I mean, it was like a baby. So yeah, yeah. Certainly, th- certainly think it helped out with that connection with people and being able to be invested in their lives, as opposed to just and you know, and, and like you said, the idea that the barbershop is this really specific place and is this place where they make these connections and you've got people, especially even go back to the first film, they're talking about people that just never leave. You got the guy playing chess. You got like, you know, customers that check our friend. Yeah. Check, yeah. It's just like these guys think, live yeah. there and you even see it in films like Eddie Murphy's coming to America. Like in general, it's just kind of seen as this community center, which they try to use, to their advantage when they were trying to get the ceasefire passed and trying to stop the the border fence that was going up around, which is, you know, the idea of kind of segregating people into these little sections of town to try and quote unquote quell the violence. It's just, it just dealt with so many issues that, that were done in such a clever way that even now, I mean, how old, when did Next Cut come out? I don't even remember when Next Cut came out. It was uh, 2016. Yes, I mean it was only it's only a few years ago, but there's still so much going on that has not gotten resolved that they touched on whether it's, you know, violence on the street between kids and high schools and and situations with gangs and uh, yeah, it's just it was just a lot of them for them to it was a lot for them to tackle and I thought it was pretty impressive that they managed to pull it off as well as they did. Yeah. Um, in the in the clip for the movie that we'll, we'll probably use at the beginning of this segment uh, when we publish, there you know, there's a scene in the movie where Common, Common's character, uh, <laughs> he's not playing himself. Uh, where Common's character, <laughs> during an argument about uh, about being black in America. Um, with with the uh, with the Indian barber in the shop, um, are trying to, are going back and forth and making points, and he's listing off you know the names of uh, of black people that have been murdered by the police. I think that list was all, only uh, you know police killings. Like he you know he rattles them all off from you know I think ending with Eric Garner, and then like you said, this is this is from 2016, which is you know not that long ago, but then we can still add more names already we can already add Breonna Taylor to that and then George Floyd which kicked off everything that's kind of happening right now um just to see how how things have progressed but yet are not where they should be yet the the character Raja makes a point that maybe yes it is 
the best time in history to be a black person in America, but that certainly doesn't mean that it's a great thing. <laughs> you know, that there's so much that they deal with that we're, we're, we're not done yet progressing as a society that, you know, everyone's on the same footing. So I think they do. I mean, they deal with that quite well. And I think they balance the humor because these are all funny movies. I mean, Cube is a surprisingly good, you know, comedic actor, right? He's got this face that he can turn on that, and he does it throughout all these movies that is, you know, <laughs> forgive the pun, ice cold. Like it's, it's so scary, like his angry face, but he does comedies quite well. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. It's been amazing to watch him since, you know, uh, Boys in the Hood all the way through all these movies. Uh, really quite good, but yeah, these, these are good movies. These are movies that you used to go watch in the theaters before, um, you know, just like regular movies before it, it had to, you know, it had to be like a Avengers Endgame to get you out to a theater these days, but, uh, or whatever. We're never going to the theaters again. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days a year ago when you could go to the theater. Yeah, isn't that great when you're like, those are the days, and it was only, it was just March. It's only a few months ago. But I was the world thinking that itself. Yeah, I was thinking that this is this is the kind of movie that got lost in the going to the theater, you know, kind of rotation. Yeah. Even now, even now, I wouldn't. You know, why would I go to the theater to watch a movie like Barbershop? No, I mean, I think Which the same sad. thing. Well, no, it is. I mean, that's the you know the situation and stuff like that with with comedies and you know certain dramas like you you know you think to yourself the same thing you did where it's like oh i've got to see the new star wars on a big screen i've got to see the new marvel movie on a big like there's the only way you can see it is on a big screen but then everything else you're just like well you don't really lose anything by watching you know a barbershop or you know some random comedy or, you know, even, even, I mean, certain dramas, like the way they're shot, you want to watch them on the big screen. But, like, nowadays, it's like, unless it's a huge event movie, I totally agree with you that we've kind of lost the element. I mean, part of it is just the expense of it. Part of it is just the the access that we have to stuff. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what things look like when we come out of it. Because, like, our family, for example, when this whole pandemic thing started, we started, like a, like, a weekly movie night where we, like, you know the kids desperately wanted to watch trolls world tour. And that was one of the films that kind of got detoured from a big theatrical release into a video on demand situation. So, you know, we paid $20 to rent this damn thing and then watch it as many times as we could <laughs> to make it <laughs> worth the money. But then, you know, then we obviously started watching other, you know, family friendly fare that we already had on demand that didn't have to pay for it. But like this new Scooby-Doo adaptation came out or, you know, it's sort of like reboot, situation scoob came out and they did the same thing and so it's you know i'm sure there's certain movies that'll still exist that you know you've got to get to a theater for but at the same time you might have theaters that take advantage of the fact that you know maybe like more art house theaters will show up that can actually show films that are a little smaller in scale like you know a barbershop type film or even maybe this is a situation where we kind of break things off a little bit more specifically into like larger tentpole movies that your Warner brothers and 20th century foxes make, but then maybe we'll be fortunate enough that maybe there will be a situation where 
more minority directors and filmmakers can come out with films, you know, they're maybe more willing to take risks on, you know, I mean, quote unquote risks, but it's like, it's, it's, it fascinates me all the time when there's like a successful female led movie or a successful minority led movie. And then, you know, film execs are like, what happened? What's the secret? It's like, there is no secret. You're not making films for women and you're not making films for people of color. If you're going to, if you actually make those films, these people are desperate for these movies. They want to see good movies. They want to see their stories told. They want to see faces that look like them up on the screen. And if you make these movies, there shouldn't be any kind of shock or secret as to how, well, how did we do it? Well, you've made a movie that they can identify with and connect with. And that's, I think that's a lot of what they did in, in these barbershop movies is, you know, the second one focused a lot on gentrification. And that's something that African-Americans have had to deal with. I mean, look at Washington, D.C., where you're at. I mean, how th- that city has changed radically since I first moved there in 2000. And when I left, in, you know, in the 15 years I lived there, so many people of color were pushed out of their neighborhoods you know, when when they pivoted towards gentrification and, you know, you lost all these mom and pop shops and these nice brownstones and you got these gigantic condominium buildings that nobody could afford with a Quiznos in the lower level next to a Starbucks. And it's just, there's, you know, these movies have touched on a lot of things that, you know, people of privilege don't necessarily want to talk about. They don't want to look at. They don't want to talk about gentrification. They don't want to talk about the situation that young people of color are put in when they're at high school and or whatever year the kids were at and they've got gangs coming up to them. And if, if they're disenfranchised, if they're in difficult situations, they're going to take a turn towards that. And I love that these movies actually shine a light on that and not, o- not only show the, the negative elements of that, but also the positive elements of these people coming together and using the barbershop as a centralized location to you know, have this big charity event that, you know, blew up and kind of brought people together, even if just for that weekend, that's hopefully a nice foundation for going forward and, and kind of helping out the situation in Chicago and, you know, at least uh, <laughs> Chicago of 2016 and, and beyond. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. And, you know, these are, just movies but they, they they show a lot of things that are possible um like you said the ceasefire i, th- I think that shows that, that i guess not the, the the need for not having police that's kind of the wrong you know but that the local community can help themselves right it was for whatever that was the weekend the ceasefire but they did it themselves right they didn't they you know they got uh, you know the gang, the gang leaders to to agree to the ceasefire, and it worked. You know, it's a very short amount of time, but you know, little steps uh, definitely are along the path. You know, to progress, and they didn't need the government to do that, right? The government's plan was to to close off the neighborhood, and that you know, even that character Jimmy, who is now in in the you know the governor's office, or I forget exactly, but working in politics, was like, you know, this is this is all we can do it's not the best idea, but that's what we're coming up with. And then they come up with their own idea that actually works. Um, yes. Uh, you know, someone died. One person, unfortunately, that, uh, that kid that was working in the shop got shot. Um, 
and that was a that was a horrible scene I, I wasn't even i wasn't even expecting that i was expecting like the entire thing to be a total success and it just kind of hit me um but how local businesses and the people that are from the neighborhood can make a difference you, you mentioned dc uh i mean i live in northern virginia but you know work in dc um during those scenes flashbacks i believe in barbershop 2 you know during the the riots after the assassination of martin luther king and the shop was saved that made me think of ben's chili bowl because that's uh as that's exactly what happened at Ben's Chili Bowl. That was the same protests after the assassination of Martin Luther King um, in the late 60s. I'm I'm so bad with history. Uh, um, no worse than me. I'm awful. <laughs> with specific dates, certainly. And um, that Ben's Chili Bowl, a very famous restaurant in Washington, D.C., uh, was in the middle of all the riots, but stayed open uh I don't think they suffered any damage actually. So a similar story and they've been here. They're still here and they, they, I still want, I want to half smoke right now covered in chili. (laughs) That would be amazing. I love Ben's chili bowl. Um, So they, they, you know, this is not a totally fictional thing that they just came up with. Stuff like this happens and local businesses can, and a lot of times do make, make, make a difference. And when stuff happens, um, Unfortunately, I can't always rely on the government and red tape and uh, and as we see right now, the police, but, uh, you know. That was one of the things about it that I liked. I mean, the fact that that's the kind of thing that carried through these films is just the the sense of community and the sense of family that these people that, you know, really at the end of the day, they're just working together. I mean, there's a lot of situations that I have felt that way where, like, I'm working in a place where it feels, you know, I've I'm friends with these people, but to have that sense of community and that sense of connection with the people you're working with is just, it's just, it was such a positive thing to see that they were able to come together like that. And, you know, throughout the whole series of movies. I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily understand. I only sort of understood why Anthony Anderson was in this new one, this next cut, like I, I kind of saw how he was in, integral for the, in the first film, but I didn't, I don't know. He only, the, 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 he seemed kind of forced in, in this, in this latest one. I didn't really necessarily, like I got the idea, you know, it was, he's certainly a comedic character and, you know, the idea of having all these guys working for the food truck and him fighting with the, his boss to get him breaks and stuff like that. But like, I just, I didn't think he was as successful in addition to the third one that he maybe was in the earlier films. I didn't, I didn't understand his, <laughs> you know, we, we keep talking about everything working together and, and connecting well. And if, you know, if there was something I had a problem with the movie, I didn't necessarily get his role in the third one. And also I wish Nicki Minaj were a better actress. I just, it was, <laughs> you know, I, I Little quibbles, get, little quibbles. Yeah, little quibbles. Every movie's got those. <laughs> um, yeah, I see where you're, you're coming from, but he's, you know, he obviously wanted one. I guess his character, you know, whatever, got out of jail after <laughs> stealing the ATM and the, the empty ATM in the first movie. Oh my god! I kept waiting in the first one. I was like, I kept waiting. I'm like, there's got to be. He's got to connect this 
like this it's gotta like it can't just be this random b story like and i was happy with how they connected everything at the end of that first one but like just, i just i don't think it was as successful later on once we <laughs> What what I found funny about the first one was when they dropped the ATM on his leg. It looks like it snaps his leg in half. Oh and yeah. Then, <laughs> and then they show it, and they show it. It does look gruesome, but it, it looks like maybe just a giant bruise on his foot. But it, the the shot looked like it snapped his leg. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just like. <laughs> you know who uh, I do miss? Who I did miss in the in the most recent one was Dinka. I miss Dinka. Yeah, this is yeah, this is him and. Uh... Him and Ricky were the only. This is the first one they didn't show up in. I was by like Dink a lot. He was a great character. One of the best scenes in the first one is when he's defending uh, Terry Eve's character and just knocks, knocks that oh, dude when out. When he takes that guy out, I was so happy. Uh, and it was great too because you could see that guy getting threatening, and then Dink is like, "Nope." <laughs> oh, so happy, so well done. I like how. Uh... And actually, these these uh, barbershop movies actually have pretty good casts. I mean, beyond, you know, Ice Cube and Cedric the Entertainer, I mean, uh, at the time, Eve, Eve was a pretty big rapper at the time, and uh, Sean Patrick Thomas has done a bunch of good stuff. Um, Michael Ealy, like I said before, I, I usually like him. Keith David as the, you know, the, the lone shark. Keith David's always good. Keenan Thompson, like I said. Uh, Garcelle Bouveau, Bouveau, I can't pronounce her name. I can't ever pronounce her name. Garcelle Bouveau in the second movie with the, with Eddie, we get to see how he he kind of had a girl and she she left and he's been just working at the barbershop all these years, not paying booth rent. <laughs> <laughs> What's um, that? Common finally gets in here. Common from Chicago, obviously, probably wanted to get in on this. Uh, being set in the <laughs> Chicago. Uh, and JB Smoove, I think it was interesting. I mean, he's obviously in the shop as a barber, but he took over kind of the role of that guy who was always coming into the shop of the shop selling yep. shit. <laughs> <laughs> they just moved that that kind of uh, similar character into the shop. Um, I thought that was funny. So you're you mentioned the the director and the and the stuff was always different, but the, at least the production team was relatively constant. George Tillman Jr. Um, was a producer on all the movies. Ice Cube was only producer on the the next cut for some reason. Really, that's interesting. You would think at least with the second one he would have gotten in on that, but uh, the first two similar writers, but they've they've definitely kept the the vibe and the theme and everything going through all three. Fourteen years <laughs> over the course of fourteen years, going going quite well. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I I if they had a next movie, I'd probably be interested in watching that too. I I I like these characters. We talked about it probably enough now, but I I just like when franchises like this keep that sense of friends and family going throughout, and it it seems believable and and real and and entertaining and funny and in the case of the last two movies you know real uh, at the same time with the all the stuff that they discuss or, or touch on so what what could be next i don't even know the next cut they're the i mean he's never moving out he's 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 tried to move out in three straight movies say, and he yeah. can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's it i'm leaving no it was interesting that they kind of 
gave Eve's character, Terry, like this amazing outside world where apparently she's like barber or hairdresser to like some really famous people because she's rolling up and like being dropped off in Rolls Royces and stuff like that. Yeah, that was kind of, they didn't they dip just into kind of, that all that much. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of mentioned it for like two seconds. And then... It's like, you're never home. Well, wait, what's going on? Like, let's see what's going on with her. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the spinoff we can have focus ah, on that. there you go. And still there coming back to the shop a little bit. Interesting. Now that you mentioned that about Michael Ely not coming back because he didn't like the direction they were going, I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was, I saw it on IMDb, like Ice Cube said, because they asked him about it, and he's like, we sent him the script, and he said that it like tarnished the legacy of Barbershop, and he didn't like the direction it went, and the language was too strong, and he, just, he was just, he was really hypercritical. It's, well, I mean, again, this is according to Ice Cube, in the in the interview he gave but i don't mm. think i've heard directly from mike Lely like an interview on his end but ice cube seemed to think he was pretty strongly had a pretty strong negative reaction to the script and so they wrote him out oh well that kind of sucks i i, I understand I, I suppose where he's coming from sometimes you just want to do something that's not dealing with you know deep deep uh seated issues and stuff but as i was watching this and and when i was thinking about it when we finally decided on doing this for this episode i i bet it's difficult to not if you're a black person be thinking about and write about things that touch on these subjects because it's it's and i can't even imagine it's part of their lives daily i mean so true Okay, and that leads us to our final segment, which we call the Reboot Wishlist. It's where we put forward any ideas for reboots or sequels that uh, that we'd like to see in the future. Distant or near future, whichever, who knows. So, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> considering the movies all got pushed back a year, we'll, we'll see. What, uh, what, what's on your wishlist today, Matt? Well, I was thinking back to a lot of movies that took place or you know that were made back in the 1980s because we were you know we're seeing a lot of uh dips back like Ghostbusters Afterlife which will hopefully come out soon a lot of stuff like that yeah they're still talking about a new Indiana Jones movie and so I was looking through my collection of 80s movies and happened upon Ferris Bueller's Day Off and I would be fascinated to see. I don't. I don't think I'd want to reboot. I don't think I'd want to see that same story again. But I think I'd want to see what like fifty-year-old Ferris Bueller's up to. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a situation where like his kid takes a day off school and he's trying to hunt the kid down. I, I don't know what it is, but I think it'd be interesting to see a sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, even just even just revisiting that Ferris Bueller character and seeing the life he's living now considering the kind of teenager he was you know do we look at it and he's a failed broken man do we look at it and he's the ultimately successful person like what what does that kid look like 30 years after the day that he had and the high school career that he had so yeah that's my idea ferris bueller at 50 (laughs) (laughs) is he still uh you know 
getting off of work maybe now and <laughs> instead of school yeah maybe maybe uh yeah i mean obviously that's that's a fantastic movie and very much a well-loved movie from the 80s uh i would totally be up for that um is he still together with uh with his girlfriend whose name totally escapes me now and uh, sloan peterson just yes, jesus christ yes. well, i was thinking of the character but uh no, the uh, I mean, it's the character's name, isn't it? Sloan? Is it Sloan? Oh, God. Isn't that the actor? Sloan Peterson. Who played I'm, Sloan? I might. <gasps> isn't it? What's her name? No, it's uh, Mia Sarah played Sloan that, Peterson. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's not the character, that, the actress's name. I'm stupid. Think about it. Oh, but Sloan Peterson. Uh, and his, his friend Alan, Alan Ruck's character. I mean, so, so great. <laughs> like, so Are they down, all still friends? So, uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I assume that they've moved on, actually, and maybe this uh, maybe a uh, sequel will be them getting back together for a reunion. Oh, <gasps> there what? you go, high school reunion. Oh my goodness! There you go. All right, it's writing itself. Quick. Fair. Oh god, we got to get on this. <laughs> All right, let's get on it. What about you? What's uh, on your wish list this episode? This episode, I'm going back, like you, you said, I'm keeping the list here. I'm trying to get this together, I'm trying to trying to be, you know, prepared for this, and yet I still can't pick. I have a list, and I still can't pick. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with, and I, I, I watched this, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago, and it's so good, it's so great, it's so visually, you know, it, it's... From 1991, there was a movie, and I'm sure you also know it and love it. Uh, hopefully, or we'll just end this podcast immediately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Rocketeer. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's so it's so period. So I don't know if I want a remake or or a sequel. Um, I mean, the sequel oh. couldn't a sequel couldn't take place in in, in present time because this is like. <laughs> This is like yeah, what the the 30s or 40s. Yeah, 30s, um, I think. Yeah, something like that. So this, we'd have to be talking to their, you know, the grandkids or something. But uh, I, I would, I would love to see that, or just maybe a sequel that takes place in the in the 50s or 60s. Something's going on. I mean, he has the rocket, the you know, the pack, and or I could totally see a total redo and then just do a new franchise. Uh, I don't know. That was an underrated movie. I really liked The Rocketeer a lot. I loved the and I agree with you. I love the way it was shot. I love the way it looked. I love the period element to it. I love the advertising material. I still remember the Rocketeer poster. It was this gorgeous Art Deco looking thing and uh, so good. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. What a great idea. I mean, just the the visuals and you know uh, defeating the Nazis. That's that's never bad, right? Beating the Nazis and uh, timeless. <laughs> Apparently. Beat the Nazis. Still, still, still doing it, apparently. Still, uh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Tearing down all these, you know, conf- uh, you know, Confederate places, every, uh, you know, monuments all over the country, and still got people flying. More, not- more yeah. Nazis than I expected. <laughs> right. Which was zero. I expected zero Nazis. You would think. For a country that's all about winning, we sure like having <laughs> the losers represented at a disproportionate Bruh. rate. Uh, anyway, but the Rocketeer is <laughs> <laughs> ripe for revisiting. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what 
uh, Bill Campbell is up to, but you know, Jennifer Connelly is still amazing and out there doing work and Alan Arkin and Timothy Dalton. Oh, he died, but you know, uh, in the movie, his character <laughs> died. Timothy Dalton did not die. Sorry. Yeah, he, don't, he won't be, he won't be in the sequel. Sorry, Timothy. He won't be, but, uh, oh, so good. And so, like I said, I mean, the, like you said, the art deco and, and, uh, Howard Hughes is a character. Terry, uh, what's his name? The Quinn? Ter- Terry O'Quinn. Good job. That's right, yeah. Yeah, close, uh, close enough. Um, so fun. That's it. That's what I want. I want a Rocketeer. Updated or not, just, just do it again. I support you. But slightly different since this one. The original is still quite good on rewatch. <laughs> Obviously. All right, that's it for this episode of Movies Never Say Die. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'd also appreciate it if you take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps us reach new listeners. Also, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, we'd love some feedback. You can maybe make a suggestion for a movie reboot, sequel, or franchise for us to look at on a future episode. You can email us at MoviesNeverSayDie at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at MoviesNeverSayDie. And of course, hit us up on Twitter at MoviesNVRSayDie. I'm Matthew Grant. And I'm Justin St. Ange. Thanks for listening, and stay safe out there. I mean, if you see a cool-looking guy, strike up a conversation and ask him on a mandate. A what? A mandate. Okay. You know what I mean? No. By that, I mean casual lunch or after-work drinks, okay? No dinner and no movies. You're not taking these boys to see The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, God, I love that movie. I'm Batman. I freeze. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I never had to say I'm Batman. I showed up. People knew I was Batman. You like movies? Hundreds of movies. 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 Never say die!